The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Game Podcast in is brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets, the sports bet research platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com. Use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. We're also brought to you by Cut. Cut is a peer-to-peer social betting platform that's U.S.-based and legal in 40 states. Head to cut.com, that's K-U-T-T.com, and use promo code SGPN to get 10% to get a 10% deposit bonus. We're also brought to you by the SGPN NFL Playoff Challenge, sponsored by Edge Boost, free to enter, and $20,000 in Edge Boost deposit bonuses up for grabs. Enter today at sportscampockets.com slash NFL Playoff. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Game Podcast Network. It is currently Saturday morning, January 13th, and I'm your host, Zoe Scott Rochelle, once again, going solo for this pod. Should be a fun and a long episode because it is officially time to preview the first Grand Slam event of the calendar year, Australian Open time. So we are going to talk about the men's tournament. Should be exciting. Uh, looking forward to breaking it down. We'll see if Djokovic wins it again, as he is the pretty substantial favorite to actually get it done. I'll mention the odds for everybody in a second. Before we get into any other preview, do want to actually recap what happened in the last episode. Overall, decent episode for the Lock and Dog picks split once again. For the Lock ended up winning, we had Draper team total over 12.5 games and minus 130 as he finished with 13 in a three-set loss to Laheshka. And for the Dog, we had the over 2.5 sets in the Tabi and Daniel match, and that unfortunately ended in straight sets, and that bet was available at plus 125. So to briefly to uh, to briefly break down those two finals, Draper was kind of, I don't want to say cruising, but he was in a great spot to get it done. I believe he was up 6-4, 4-4, but it was love 30 in his favor. Then Laheshka hit some crazy reaching backspin, I guess, volley, if you want to call it that, and then after that, the momentum of the match entirely changed as Laheshka started to really just dominate the overall flow of points. I thought Draper would spend a lot of time on the back foot in this match, but I just dared Laheshka to not hit a lot of unforced errors. And then once Laheshka started to kind of ramp up both wings without hitting the mistakes, then at that point, he kind of dominated the match. You saw Draper once again go from 4-4, love 30, to losing the second set 6-4, then immediately going down, I think it was 3 nothing in the third set, and he was unable to break back as Laheshka eventually won the final set 6-3. Congrats to Laheshka for winning his first ever ATP title. As for Draper, pretty rough uh, to be that close and then to kind of have the entire match flip on his head. But the point is, Draper played well. Laheshka was better in big moments and especially in the back half of the match. But as a result, Draper got it done for us. Unfortunately, though, did not get it done for himself as he ended up losing his second career ATP final. And as for the other match for the dog, Daniel Lawson straight sets, pretty annoying loss on the dog because Daniel threatened in so many return games against Tabilo in that second set in particular. Kind of got killed in the first set, lost 6-2. But he had multiple deuces in several return games, including a couple of break points. I believe he had three break points in different return games. And he could not get one single break. And then he ended up seeing uh, Tabilo immediately get a break in the uh, 5-6 game to win the match. So Daniel had a bunch of chances to potentially go up a break in the second set. Couldn't do it. And then Tabilo converted his first chance. Go figure. And you ended up seeing Tabilo win his first ever ATP title. And he became the first Chilean to win a hardcore ATP event since uh, Gonzalez in 2007. So once again, congrats to him. 
for making Chilean history. And as for us, pretty unfortunate because Daniel had a bunch of chances once again, could not convert, and we had to settle for a push. Either way, though, uh, once again, the matches themselves are pretty entertaining, but they're not going to be anywhere near as intense or as exciting as what we should be seeing in the next week and change at the Australian Open. So looking forward to breaking down this tournament. As for any news, do want to briefly touch upon Ostapenko, uh, who was able to win the women's tournament as she was able to win in straight sets. Don't really have much more to add there, but wanted to congratulate her. We know that Ostapenko can be a very, very volatile player because she's willing to let the match be won or lost on her racket only. And as a result, you will see a lot of winners, a lot of unforced errors. And for the most part, she was able to keep the unforced errors, not to a minimum, but at least to a certain degree that it did not completely derail her entire tournament. And Ostapenko did win that final pretty comfortably. So congrats to her for winning a title. Wanted to briefly mention the winner of the WTA 500 event. Besides that, though, do want to briefly mention Djokovic's wrist injury because he had some quotes regarding the wrist injury before the Australian Open started. So he, first of all, downplayed the actual injury. We know last year he won with some leg issues, which were a lot more serious than this. But wrist issues can definitely be something that can get worse over the course of an event. So as of right now, Djokovic claims there's no issue. We'll see if there will be as the tournament progresses. But to go through his quotes, he said, quote, I had time to recover from the last match against Dimenauer in the United Cup to my first match here to recover. Djokovic told reporters ahead of his opener Sunday against Croatian qualifier Dino Prismic, I've been training well. Practice sessions are pain-free so far. It's all looking good. Let's see how it goes. So as, of, so as of right now, Djokovic does seem like he is close to 100%. We'll see if that is going to be the case moving forward, especially against some of the high-powered players like Sinner late in the tournament or maybe Alcaraz. So we'll see if it gets worse as the tournament goes on. But once again, Djokovic showed last year he can handle some serious injuries, and he was able to win the title while only dropping one set. So I'm not exactly worried about the injury, but I wanted to mention his quotes in case you were personally worried about the injury. Uh, just to go through some other quotes here, he said, quote, it's not as bad as some of the other injuries that I've had here, uh, most notably the leg injury from last year. I can't predict whether it's going to come back. Once I start playing more matches, the stress level goes up. I don't know. We have to find out. So Djokovic being a little bit coy, but at the same point, he's acknowledging that the injury is there, but not that big of a deal, if any deal, at the moment. So Djokovic, once again, is worthy of being the massive favorite in this event. If he mentioned some cryptic comments about how he was injured and it was actually bothering him, I probably wouldn't take him to win the event. But now that he is healthy, we're going to have to try to find out if anybody can actually beat Djokovic in Australia. Last year, for reference, he did end up winning with a torn hamstring, and he also won in 2021 with an abdominal injury. So he has had a lot of he's had a lot of injuries in the past here, and he has done well. So we'll see if Djokovic can once again get the job done. But I'm going to stop stalling. Time to actually get into the preview because we have a lot of tennis to cover. We have quarter odds, we have outrights, and we have even some fun props if we do want to cover them. So we're going to start off with the usual. Uh, it's a technique or path. We're going to go through the quarters first, then the outright odds, and then we'll get into, once again, some potential props, if I find any, that I do think are quite appealing. So we're going to start off with the quarters. You have Djokovic as the favorite in the first quarter. First of all, a pretty favorable draw for Djokovic, so it is looking pretty good for him to make it to at least the semis in this event. Djokovic is minus 500 to make the semis, as he's in the same quarter 
As Sissy Pass at nine to one, Shelton at ten to one, Fritz at fourteen to one, Berrettini at thirty-five to one, Musetti at thirty-five to one. You get the point. I'm really not going to spend much uh, much time going through this quarter. Fun little throwback match potential though, as you have Djokovic against Murray in the third round. If Murray gets that far, which should be fun, Djokovic would annihilate him. But the point is, it would bring back some fond memories from the I'd say mid 2010s when it seemed like Djokovic always faced off against Murray in. A pretty, uh, I'd say, long and just a series of entertaining matches. Djokovic won all of them, but the point is all the matches seemed to go the distance or close to it, and eventually Djokovic would win. But it would be nice to see kind of a throwback match that would let us reminisce about the prime of those two careers. I know Murray's been past his prime for a long time. Props that he's still hanging in there, but I don't see him as a threat to anybody in this event. Maybe winning a round or two, but that's basically it. As for... The quarter, I'm not going to spend much time on this. I'm taking Djokovic. Like I want to make a case for maybe Shelton, who made a deep run last year. I can't do it. He lost to Taro Daniel in his last match. I know it was competitive. He can't beat Djokovic. Like, it's just not going to happen. And I do think that Sissipas, once again, has been in decent form, or at least he was in the United Cup. But for his sake, I can't trust him. And we know we definitely can't trust him against Djokovic in three to five set matches. So no chance for him. And Fritz has been in pretty bad form for the last couple of months, even dating back to last year. Not going to pick him either. And that's basically it. Berrettini is the guy that you kind of forget exists. And I'm not picking him to do anything in this quarter. But we will see how he looks because he used to be a top five, top ten guy. And then he kind of fell off a cliff. We'll see how he looks in 2024. But for the sake of this quarter, short and sweet, Djokovic a minus 500. There's really no value with it, but he's the only guy I'm taking. So I'm not going to pick any Cinderella run in the first quarter. Moving on. To the second quarter, you have Sinner at minus 110. You have Dimenauer at plus 400. You have Rublev at plus 600. Korda at 14 to 1. Tiafo at 14 to 1. Jari at 16 to 1. Kashanov at 16 to 1. And as far as I'm concerned, that's basically it. Now, Sinner was in phenomenal form. You can make an argument that he was the second best player in the world at the end of last year because he, didn't, he ended up beating. Alcaraz late last year. He also beat Medvedev in basically every meeting for the last couple of months. He did beat Djokovic in the Davis Cup final, and he beat Djokovic earlier on in the ATP finals. Now, of course, Djokovic avenged that loss with a victory in the championship match of the ATP finals. But the point is, Sinner definitely found another gear, mostly because of the improved serve. And I do think Sinner is definitely the class of this quarter. Am I only going to take Sinner? No, I do think there might be value with another guy or two. I'm not going to take Rublev. I think Rublev, despite winning us a an outright so far this season as he was able to win in Hong Kong, I still don't fully trust his consistency over three to five set matches, and I do think Sinner would beat him if they faced off head-to-head. So I'm not going to go with uh, with Rublev at 6-1. to one. I don't see much value. Dimenauer is fascinating because he has the home country advantage for fan support. He just broke into the top 10, and he was in phenomenal form in the United Cup. So I do think that Dimenauer is playing the best tennis of his career, and I do think there might be a decent path for him to make a run. Now, to go through the actual path for Dimenauer, face off against Rayonich in the first round, should win that. Then Arnaldi should win that. Then probably Jari, but Kotov maybe can make a little noise uh, in that little uh, quartet of players. So I do think that you should end up seeing Dimenauer make a respectable run. But the point is, past that, I do think it's pretty realistic that Dimenauer can make it to at least the round of 16. And at that point, I think he can 
potentially beat Rublev. I think he would probably lose to Sinner, but the point is I do think that Dimonauer can be a solid candidate to make a run if Sinner stumbles along the way. But I do think I'm going to stick with the chalk here in this quarter. Sinner's my pick to win it. I just think that he's in great form. As long as he stays healthy, I think he is firmly a top three player in the world. I think Medvedev is fourth, and you probably have you have Djokovic one, obviously, and Alcaraz probably a two. You can make an argument about two. Now, I know Alcaraz won Wimbledon, so he did win a Grand Slam title last year, which brings his career title, uh, which brings his career number to two. Sinner's never won that. In fact, Sinner's never made it to a Grand Slam final. This might be the year to do it because Sinner did find a groove at the end of last year. I think that he is rolling, and I do think that he is the best player here. But Dimonauer has been in great form. I'm not going to fully dismiss him, but I do think Rublev at six to one is a guy that might intrigue some people, not me. I think that he's going to stumble at some point with the volatility. And we did see him go to a decent amount of three setters in that Hong Kong tournament, which he eventually won. But I do think that Dimonauer and Sinner are my picks for the second quarter. I'm not going to take Korda. He's a head case. I know he made a deep run last year, got injured with the wrist issue against Kashanov. So I do think it's pretty interesting that both of them are in the same quarter once again. Tiafo, I'm not taking. Saw him lose to Shang in straight sets. In Hong Kong, now, Tiafo, you know my thoughts on I think he's a head case. I don't trust him enough mentally to get it done. Jari, I'm not going to take either. Kishanov is interesting. I know he lost pretty early on in his first tournament in 2024. He has had a good track record of making deep runs in the Australian Open and on hardcore events in general in the Grand Slam territory. Did make the uh, quarter... Oh, was it the quarterfinals or the semis last year? Pretty sure it was the semis last year, I think. Uh, where he ended up losing to Sitsipas in four. But the point is, I do think that Kashanov can make a deep run. Am I picking him to do so? No. I have not seen him play enough in this year, or in the calendar year so far. So we will see how he looks, but I'm not going to take him. Give me the chalk here once again. Give me Sinner and Dimonauer at minus 110 and plus 400. Now moving on to the third quarter, this is where it might get interesting because you have Dimit- you have um, Dimitrov in this quarter following a title, his first title in about four or five years in Brisbane, and he's plus 600 in this quarter. Favorite is Medvedev at plus 140. You have Rune at 4-1. to one. Dimitrov is 6-1. to one. Herkatch is 9-1. to one. Fees is 12-1. to one. Shang is 16-1. to one. To be honest, I'm not really going to spend much more time. I think one of the top four guys in this quarter are going to win. And I'm not going to take Fees because, A, I think he's too inexperienced in three to five set matches. And, B, I just saw him lose it to Bilo in the semis in the last match that he played in in straight sets. So I don't think he's ready for that type of leap. He might be a year or two away, but I'm not going to take Fees in the spot. Now, Medvedev, we know, has had a lot of success in the Australian Open in the past. Recent years, not as much success. I know last year he got upset and kind of buried by Korda, so we're going to see if he can get back on track this year. He had some issues beating Kyrgios, for example, so he has lost somewhat earlier than you might have expected in the Australian Open in recent years, but I do think plus 140 does feel a bit, I don't know, expensive in a way. Like I think this quarter is more open than people think. Rune at 4-1, to one, I think, is a crazy price. I know Rune, once again, has been in good form recently, did lose to Dimitrov in the final of Brisbane in straight sets, a competitive straight set loss. But the point is, Rune, the issue I have with him in all three out of five set matches, I don't trust his stamina. And it seems like he always has some physical ailments or just a lack of energy in the late, late stages of these Grand Slam matches. And we saw it last year against Rublev, where he probably should have won that match. I think it was the quarterfinals or, was it the quarters, I think? 
Maybe I don't. I don't exactly remember the exact details, but I remember that he was up in the fifth set, and he was up a decent amount in that super breaker. And you could tell that he physically fell apart, and he's had that issue for a long time, especially with the heat. I know he was battling the dehydration there, and he had a bunch of medical timeouts, and it seemed like he was going to lose early. Then he found a second win that he was able to go up two sets to one. But I do want to point out that Rune physically has really struggled to deal with the environment of Australia, and he's really struggled to maintain his fitness level over uh, three to five set matches. So I'm not picking Rune. I think four to one is a crazy price to lay with a guy that has had, uh, once again, issues actually finishing matches in good form with the conditions and climate in Australia in the past. So Rune, I'm not going to take. Now, Dimitrov, I am going to take. Dimitrov, I've given a hard time to, but I said in the last episode, he has been lifted from the band because he finally won a title. And I do think if you want to talk about, I don't know if you want to say God mode runs, but Dimitrov in that Brisbane run looked like a top five player in the world. Now, I do know that the level of competition was relatively weak with the exception of Rune because you ended up seeing, for example, Thompson pull off the upset on Nadal. I'm not saying Nadal would have beaten Dimitrov, but I think Dimitrov was relatively happy that he got to face off against Jordan Thompson after a marathon as opposed to Nadal. But the point is Dimitrov looked really good in Brisbane. He was aggressive with the backhand. The serve looked really good. And it just felt like he wasn't as passive as he was in previous years. Now, Maybe he reverts back to it. We'll see what happens. But I do think Dimitrov has the game to beat Medvedev, and we know he has the game to beat Rune because he just did it about a week or two ago. I do think there is some value on Dimitrov at 6-1, to one, and I do think there's some value on her catch at 9-1. to one. Made a very impressive run in the United Cup. I know that Poland ended up losing in the final to Germany. Her catch lost a three-set war against Zverev. You can argue he should have beaten Zverev because Zverev had played a bunch of tennis, whether it was in singles or was even in mixed doubles. But the point is Zverev put the entire country of Germany on his back to win that event, and you could argue that Hercatch should have beaten him because he had a significant rest advantage. But Hercatch in general did look really good in that event, and the serve is always tricky to deal with. I think that can give some guys issues, and I do think that Hercatch, if the serve is there, can beat anybody in this quarter. So give me Dimitrov at 6-1 to one and give me Hercatch at 9-1. to one. Those will be my picks. If Medvedev gets there, to the semis, props to him, but I don't see any value at plus 140 with a pretty underrated uh, group, uh, at least in terms of competition here. Rune, I don't think, would beat Medvedev. He has the talent, but once again, I question the stamina, and Medvedev would take him to deep waters. Then again, Medvedev has struggled in fifth sets in his career, so you can argue that Medvedev might also struggle if he is brought to deep waters. But Dimitrov has been really good. Hercatch has been good, and I do think those prices are a lot more appealing than Medvedev and Rune. I think Medvedev should probably uh, should. I think Medvedev should be around, in my opinion, like plus one ninety. And I think Dimitrov and Rune should flip. I think Dimitrov should be the second favorite here, based on current form. And I think there's a little bit too much respect for Rune when there really shouldn't be. As for the third quarter, though, uh, once again, that is my that uh, those are my picks. So I'm actually not going to go with chalk there. When chalky with the first and second ones, uh, not going to go chalky with the third one. We're proud to announce the SGPN Playoff Challenge. EdgeBoost is the first bet now pay later provider that enables you to double your bet at any sportsbook or DFS site with no interest. The contest is bankroll style, and you start with 10,000 virtual units. At the end of the playoffs, the biggest bankroll will win credit into higher advanced limits from EdgeBoost. The winner gets a top, the top three get a deposit match from Edge up to $2,500 with no interest or fees, and the top 25 
will get a deposit match from Edge up to $500 with no interest or fees. SportsGamePodcast.com slash NFL Playoff to enter. The SportsGamePodcast.com slash NFL Playoff. We're also brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings, the official sports book and the official sports betting partner of the NFL playoffs. And it is bringing you an offer that will help make the playoffs electrifying. New customers can bet 5 bucks on any game and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Whether you want to end up taking the Steelers plus 10 maybe, or if you want to take the Bills minus 10, or if you want to go to maybe Matt Stafford's return to Ford Field. A lot of options that you can definitely bet on at DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SGP. New customers can bet just $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code SGP. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-467. 369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. We're also brought to you by Game Time. I don't know about all of you, but I personally love to attend sporting events in person. It used to be very difficult to actually find a ticketing platform that I could trust, but that changed once I found Game Time because Game Time is the fast and easy way to get tickets without the stress. Game Time is great for buying tickets for sporting events, music, comedy, and theaters near you. And they also have a great feature that I do love, which is the Images of Seat Views feature, which will show you the exact view that you're going to get if you end up purchasing a specific ticket. So before you actually spend money without knowing what view you're going to get or if the view is going to be obstructed, it will give you a preview so that it will never be an issue for you ever again. But Game Time is also the fastest-growing ticketing uh, app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seats before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Second things without the stress with Game Time, perfect for the NFL playoffs. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code CFBX for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply again. Create an account, redeem code CFBX for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Now, going into the final quarter, you have Alcaraz as the favorite at minus one thirty-five. You have Zverev at four to one, Rude at eight to one, Draper at fourteen to one, Laheshka at eighteen to one. So a bit fascinating. Both guys who just faced off in the final in uh, Adelaide are facing off uh, potentially again in this quarter. We'll see what happens. I doubt it. You know my thoughts on backing guys off of deep runs immediately uh, after, immediately before the Grand Slam tournament. I tend to fade them because there's just not enough recovery time for three to five, and especially with Draper's history of durability concerns. I think Draper might be a trendy sucker play. I don't want to disrespect Draper, but with the amount of issues he's had physically, over the years, going on a deep run and playing Saturday morning just to immediately play in the start of the Australian Open is really not a great scheduling spot. Now, Laheshka, you can argue, is not a great spot either, but I want to at least point out that he has not had nearly as many durability issues as Draper has in years past, and he also has a pretty favorable draw in the first round, facing off against Apatamarayas, 
which as far as I'm concerned is basically a buy because Bata Marais is a really bad hardcore player and I think Oheshka should beat him. Then he has a matchup against either Mickelson or McCabe and then potentially Zverev in the third round. So the first two rounds for Oheshka, as far as I'm concerned, are basically buys and I do think that's going to benefit him. Now, as for Draper, to briefly mention his section, matchup against Giron in the first round, then a matchup against probably Tommy Paul. Now, he did kill Paul in Adelaide. But once again, with the fatigue and with the three to five set element, it wouldn't totally shock me if Tommy Paul ended up beating Draper in the immediate rematch. We'll see what happens. But I do think that once again, Draper is more vulnerable in this quarter than Leheshka is based on the draw. Now to go through the favorites here, Alcaraz should be the favorite. He had some quotes early. Uh, I think it was either yesterday or two days ago where he said his goal for the event was to face off against Djokovic in the final of the Australian Open, which is pretty standard for Alcaraz because we know how competitive he is. We know that if he wants to be the best in the world, he believes he has to beat the best in the world. And he's had some mixed results, mostly underwhelming against against uh, Djokovic. Uh, but the point is you are looking at Alcaraz being a guy who I think you have to back in Australia. We didn't see him here last year. You might remember he was injured to start last year, so it is going to be an interesting spot for him. But as far as I'm concerned, it does seem like he is in good form physically. I know he ended up losing to, I believe, Dimenauer in one of the exhibition tournaments in or exhibition events in three sets, but it's exhibition. I don't know if it really matters. The most important thing for Alcaraz is staying healthy, and I do think he is in line for a very solid run here. Matchup against Gasquet in the first round. He should kill Gasquet. He's probably going to beat Sunigo or Evans, should beat Bublik or potentially Shang, but probably Bublik. And you're going down the line in the quarter, and I really don't see anybody standing in Alcaraz's path. Uh, Rude, I don't think, has the game to beat Alcaraz. I know he was in pretty good form in the United Cup, but I do think that once again, you're looking at some chalk here. Uh, Zverev was in good form. I said before, he carried Germany to a title in the United Cup. He was very good in the singles, and I do think that Zverev can face off against Alcaraz deep in this event. Am I picking Zverev to win? No, Alcaraz completely owns him, but I do think that Alcaraz can, uh, once again, have a pretty tricky match against Zverev, which can maybe go four or five, but I think Alcaraz is definitely the best player here, so I am going to go chalky once again. Apologies if you wanted a decent amount of long shots here, but in the men's tournament, you tend not to get that. You might get one Cinderella. We saw Shelton last year. We've seen a couple of Cinderellas here and there, Tommy Paul, for example, but I do think that for these quarters, I like the chalk for the most part because they're more reliable. And I've seen most of them perform well in Grand Slam events. I know Alcaraz can handle it. Zverev can handle it, especially with his form for the last couple of months. I'm not sure if he can handle Alcaraz, but I know that physically he can handle some deep runs. I think if you wanted to take a long shot in any quarter, it probably would be the if I had to guess the third quarter, like Djokovic, I'm not picking a lose. So I think the first quarter is a waste. Second quarter, if you wanted to make an argument for anybody, maybe Kashanov, if you think that his uh, past performances carry over into this one, but I don't really like his draw. I think that it's a tough quarter, and I think that it's going to be an issue for him. So I'm not going to go with uh, Kashanov, but I feel like most people would be tempted by it at 16 to 1. Uh, but looking at any other quarters, the third quarter is really not that talented when you deep when you deep dive into it. Like I'm not picking Fakina at twenty to one. Team at twenty five to one's a joke. I'm not taking that. Um, I really don't see much. Once again, I, I just think it's a spot where you can make an argument that maybe if you expect Laheshka to make a deep run, but he has to beat Zverev and Alcaraz, and he might be fatigued. 
Uh, Tommy Paul, 28-1. to Matchup against Draper a couple rounds in. I picked Tommy Paul to potentially win that match, but it's not easy. Like, he's facing off against Draper, then he has to face off against probably Alcaraz and Zverev, so there's really not much faith that I have. I think that Kekmanovic's form is interesting at 50-1, to but I'm not picking him to win this quarter with Alcaraz, Zverev, and Rude in it. So I'm not going with any of those guys. I think that my... Not really Cinderella, but my non-chalky play of Dimitrov or her catch at six to one and nine to one respectively are going to be my versions of kind of putting myself out there and trying to find any value whatsoever on some guys that are not immediate chalk to win the to win uh, the quarter. But that's basically going to be it. Once again, relatively chalky. Apologies, but I do think once again on hard court, a lot of the favorites are priced accordingly as very good hardcore player. Uh, players and in three to five set matches, that's kind of where I'm going to lean. But uh, once again, I'm trying to do one less look to find any long shots that are worth anything. I don't see much. I mean, if you want to take Korda at 14 to one, be my guest, but I've written him off. I can't do it to myself anymore. So Korda, I'm not taking. Some of you might. Not going to be me. Uh, Tiafo's the same way. Tiafo has burned me less than Korda has uh, because I back Tiafo less than Korda. I've written off Tiafo a lot sooner than Corda because I follow tennis uh, with uh, Tiafo involved even before I had the podcast and I was always anti Tiafo. So I already entered the podcast realm with some notions about Tiafo being a choker and being an untrustworthy player. And that spilled over into this podcast where I was really not letting myself get burned by him. Corda I was, but I've kind of had enough with it. I can't do it to myself anymore. So I'm not going to pick either of them, but I'm kind of rambling at this point. I really don't see any Cinderella stories, and as a result, I am going to move on to the actual outrights to win the event. So Djokovic is the hefty favorite at even money. Alcaraz is plus 350. Sinner is 650. Medvedev is 10 to 1. Zverev is 25 to 1. Diminauer is 28 to 1. You have Rune at 30 to 1. Uh, Dimitrov is 40 to 1. Sissipas is 50 to 1. Rude is 65 to 1. I think you get my point. I'm not going to take any serious long shots. I probably didn't even need to read off Sitsipas because you know my thoughts on him. I think he's never winning a Grand Slam title. And I think that his mental, uh, his lack of mental toughness and maybe the distractions off the court at this point in his career are going to prevent him from doing so. But Djokovic at even money, it's really tough not to take him. I know even money, you can argue, is not a great value play. Maybe you might find more value if you take him to win without dropping a set at like 20 to 1. Do I think he's going to drop a set? Probably. Uh, But even money, it's once again tough to go against him. Because Djokovic has won the Australian Open 10 times. And he's really just an absolute machine on the surface. So I can't really go against him. He's the defending champion for, I think, four years in a row because he ended up missing because of COVID. So if you ignore the COVID year, he has won every single time. So I can't really go against him. Djokovic is the best player of all time. He's done well against Alcaraz. And Alcaraz, you can argue, maybe is going to struggle with the overall conditions here because he didn't play here last year. So maybe Alcaraz will struggle with the heat and the overall climate. We'll see what happens. They also use the dome more often than not. So that will limit some of the actual effects of the environment. But I do think Alcaraz maybe needs an adjustment period because he did not play here last year where he might struggle early, then he'll figure it out as he goes on. But I am curious if stamina might be an issue early on. Maybe he'll drop a set or two before adjusting accordingly, and we'll see what happens. But as a result, I think I'm not going to take Alcaraz. At 350, for a guy that was not in this event last year, it's a pretty cheap price. And I know that Alcaraz is a bit fortunate 
because Sinner is in Djokovic's section, or I should say half, and Alcaraz gets Medvedev. Medvedev did beat him in the U.S. Open, but I do think Alcaraz, I would pick to beat Medvedev if they would face off in this event. So I can understand why Alcaraz is at 350. You can argue that maybe it's too cheap, maybe it's too expensive, but the main argument for me is that Djokovic would have to face off against Sinner in the semis, while Alcaraz does not. And I know it's disrespectful to Medvedev because he just beat Alcaraz in the last Grand Slam meeting. But I think we'd agree that Alcaraz would beat Medvedev more often than not, probably 7 out of 10 times. And I do think that is going to be a reason why people might be tempted by Alcaraz to make a deep run here. I think he's going to make a deep run, but I'm not picking him to win the event. I think 350 is a little bit too low since Djokovic owns this tournament. I know that Alcaraz did it last year in Wimbledon. Djokovic owns that event too. And Alcaraz kind of shocked the world by beating Djokovic. But I do think that my main picks for this event are going to be Djokovic at plus 100. I can't go against him. He's too good here. He's the best Australian Open player of all time. I think Sinner might be interesting at 650. Now, you can argue against that going, well, if you're against Alcaraz at 350, why do you take Sinner? Because Sinner has to beat Djokovic and Alcaraz, which is very difficult. And you're probably not wrong. Like, I understand that's going to be a tricky path for him. I think he should win the quarter. So I have faith in him to get there, and he's minus 110 to do so. So I do think that Sinner is worth consideration. Maybe it's because he's had success against Djokovic uh, over the last couple of months. He's kind of been, uh, I don't want to say hit or miss, but he's had about a 500 record or so against Djokovic, which is pretty good compared to the rest of the tour over the last couple of months. So maybe Sinner's going to struggle to actually get the job done. But I do think he's actually in a decent spot to win a Grand Slam event this year. And I think based on the current form, Sinner has found another gear to his game. Now, beating Djokovic three to five sets is not as easy as, once again, just simply put finding another groove. You have to do a lot more than that. Djokovic will take you to deep waters. We saw, for example, in the U.S. Open, Dejir have the best match of his career, was up two sets to nothing, then Djokovic turned it on him and won in five. So you might see Sinner once again push Djokovic to the brink. I'm not sure if he's going to win the match, but I do think that Sinner at some point in the calendar year is going to make a very, very deep Grand Slam run. And I do think that can be a spot where Sinner announces his presence as a serious Grand Slam contender. Now, I found Djokovic a plus 110, shopping around, so I'm going to go with that. Sinner, I think I am going to take. Uh, I mean, if he wins the quarter, I'm basically free-rolling, and I think he should win the quarter. So give me Sinner at plus 650, and I think I have to do it. I'm not saying he's going to win it, but I do think that if I'm picking him to win the quarter, I have to at least consider the option of Dimitrov at 40-1. to And I know that he lost in straight sets to Djokovic last year. The match was pretty weird, was competitive. You can argue Dimitrov should have won at least one set in that match. But I think Dimitrov has an interesting spot here. And the fact that I'm picking him to win the quarter, because I'm a bit lower on Medvedev, tells me Dimitrov's draw is actually not that bad. And I think that Dimitrov at 40-1 to is a good price for the guy playing arguably the best 10 of his entire career. So give me Dimitrov at 40 to 1 as my long shot. I really don't see much else. But I think I am going to take a spin with Sinner. I'm not going to take Zverev at 25 to 1. I just think he's probably going to lose to Alcaraz, and I definitely don't trust him to be Djokovic in 3 to 5. Dimenauer is interesting, but I do think Sinner would beat him, and I'm definitely not going to take Dimenauer to beat Djokovic again in 3 to 5. I think Djokovic would get revenge against him. So for me, 
Give me Djokovic at plus 100. Give me Sinner at 650. And give me Dimitrov as my long shot at 40 to 1. If you want to meet, if you want a Dimitrov as well at 40 at uh, 28 to 1, you can uh, do so, but I'm not going to do it. I think that Dimitrov is once again the better long shot candidate. Uh, Dimitrov did find a 33 to 1. I recognize his growth. I recognize the home court advantage, but I do think once again his overall game is still going to put him as a pretty decent underdog against a decent amount of the favorites here. He'd be a dog in the head-to-head against Verev, against Medvedev, against Sinner, against Alcaraz, and against Djokovic if he faced off against any of them. So I do think that, once again, I think he might be a dog to Dimitrov, to be honest with you. So I just think that based on the just uh, amount of talent in this event, you can argue that there's not many guys who can actually win the thing. But there's a lot of talent, and Dimenauer can uh, fall apart if his serve kind of betrays him. So for me, give me Djokovic, Sinner, and Dimitrov, and that's going to be my three outright picks. Now, as I said before, there were some props that maybe might interest you. I'm not sure if they're going to. One thing that I think is kind of interesting, you can find some value on a head-to-head bracket prop. You can find Dimitrov, for example, against Tsitsipas. Dimitrov is minus 140 to advance further than Tsitsipas. That I might find appealing. Uh, You could also find Sinner to advance further than Medvedev, and that is also minus 140. Sinner is a minus price to win the quarter. Medvedev is not. So I do think that, once again, Sinner I'm picking to win the quarter. I think he might have a shot to win the whole thing. Medvedev, I think, is in a tough spot where his quarter is pretty difficult, and I do think there is some value on Sinner to advance further than Medvedev at minus 140. Those are my main two props that I noticed briefly. Uh, Djokovic to win the tournament without dropping a set is 20 to 1. Do I think he's going to do that? No, but it's tough to find value on Djokovic when he's plus 110 to win the overall uh, tournament. So you might try to, you know, find some creative ways to extract value from that. That's basically it, though. I really don't see much. Uh, so that's going to wrap it up for the actual outrights. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks for the round one matches, but for intending that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. We're also brought to you by Cut. Cut is a peer-to-peer social betting platform that's U.S.-based and legal in 40 states. Peer-to-peer social betting is a new and better way to bet, but directly against your friends or other users on sports, politics, pop culture, and other events with verifiable outcomes, and a ton of social features that give it the feel of a betting social network. Cut also offers low VIG and fully customizable odds so you can create your own bets. Cut handles the payment side of things, so all you have to do is place your wager and never have to worry about chasing anyone down for money. They also have great social features, group chats, betting leaderboards, head-to-head history, etc. They also have rewards. Get cash back every single time you bet against your friends or other users. Head to cut.com. That's K-U-T-T dot com. Use promo code SGPN to get a 10% deposit bonus. We're brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy has a way to play alongside your favorite fantasy players all season long. NFL, NBA, NHL, college basketball, and college football. Simply pick higher or lower on your favorite players' fantasy stats and cash in. So watch along, make your picks, and maybe make a little money over Underdog's mobile app or website, underdogfantasy.com. And remember, when you sign up, use the promo code SGPN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. It's Underdog Fantasy, promo code SGPN. P-N. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Win bigger by betting smarter this end of all season with Hall of Fame Bets. We're sending analytics platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Research every NFL, NBA, and soccer bet with historical stats and data. Enter any parlay idea, no matter how ridiculous it might seem, into Hall of Fame Bets' revolutionary parlay optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as an expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate, 
for any bet to learn which players are hot and which picks have value. So stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame bets app or visit hofbets.com. Use code SGPN. You get 50% off your first month today. Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame bets. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the outrights for the Men's Australian Open. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks. Starting off with the lock, I am going to go to a matchup between Sinner and Dezanschulp. And for this one, I am going to go with Sinner to win in straight sets, or in other words, Dezanschulp to not win a set at minus 144. Simply put, shopping around, I found a Sinner 3 nothing bet at minus 200. So minus 144 is automatically a great price just by shopping around. But Sinner has been on the absolute warpath recently. We saw it at the end of 2023 as he carried Italy uh, to a Davis Cup title. We saw him beat Djokovic in the Davis Cup as well as in the uh, group stage matches of the ATP Finals. The point is, Sinner, we know, is in great form, and to go through his performances so far this year, I said before, beat Djokovic in the Davis Cup, then beat Dimenauer, who was in great form, newly uh, new member of the top 10, beat him 6-3-6-0 in the finals of that. Then, looking at how he did in 2024, he was in the exhibition event in uh, Kuyong, and he ended up beating Pullman 6-4-6-0, and then faced Casper Ruud and won 6-2-6-3. Point is, Sinner is in incredible form. I think he's got a shot to win the entire tournament. And I know that you're looking at Dezanschul being a pretty decent ATP player, not exactly in great form. Uh, to, so, to look at his matches so far this year, beat Arnaldi in three in the Davis Cup. That was the last match of last year. Then beat Mochizuki in straight sets, lost to Shang in three, then played Eubanks one and two, you know I'm not the biggest Eubanks fan, and then ended up losing to Tabilo in straight sets in Auckland. So the point is, Dezanschulp, I think, has been in decent form recently. Not great, but Sinner is arguably the second or third best player in the world, and he's playing like it. So for me, I think Sinner's going to get the job done. Minus 144, I think, is too cheap. I think Sinner's serve will be there. I think Dezanschulp's going to struggle to actually outlast Sinner in a lot of these rallies. And Sinner does have the firepower to definitely make life difficult for Dezanschulp. But give me one of the hottest players on tour at the moment to win in straight sets at minus 144 as my lock. For my dog, I am going to go with a two-pick parlay. First pick's going to be in a matchup between Shang and McDonald. I'm going to go with Shang on the money line at minus 152. Cupboard's why I'm going to go with Shang money line here. First reason, McDonald is in terrible form. You know, last year I was a fan of McDonald. I thought that he was in line for a pretty solid year, and he was for the most part. He had a couple of solid runs, made a decent run in Canada in a Masters 1000 event, but the point is McDonald has recently been a mess. And to go through the numbers this season, or the matches so far this season, he's played two matches, played Offner, lost 6-1, 6-2, and played Kikmanovic in Adelaide, lost 6-4, 6-2. So he's been awful. Shang, we saw, made the semis in Hong Kong, had nice wins against Dejir and Dezanschult, ended up beating Tiafo in straight sets, and then ended up beating Rublev in the first set before eventually losing in three. Point is, Shang is still only 18 years old, so he's definitely improving his game as the years go on. And McDonald is a guy who we know throughout his entire career is a very up-and-down Jekyll and Hyde-type player. It appears that he is in the middle of a downswing, and as a result, I do think this line is a bit low. It's also pretty telling that McDonald beat Shang in three last year, and yet Shang is the favorite in this match. So I think that, once again, McDonald, based on current form, is going to struggle in this match. Give me Shang the 
in my opinion, future top 20, top 30 guy uh, to get the job done here and to win this match. But I'm going to parlay that because once again, it is at minus 152. I'm going to parlay that with the Kaboli and Jari match over three and a half sets. And that's at minus 164. And that two pick, so Shang Moneyline at minus 152. And you have Kaboli, Jari over three and a half sets at minus 164. That two pick does pay out at plus 166. Now, to go through the Kaboli and Jari match, Jari, we saw, have an okay performance in his last tournament, but he was pretty vulnerable. And I do think with him being ranked so high in the world at number 18, they're expecting him to kind of steamroll, but the odds don't really suggest that because he's only minus 400 for this match. It might make you look at it and go, well, what do you mean? 400 is still a pretty decent favor. You're not wrong, but when you're the 18th ranked player, and you're against a guy ranked outside the top 100, it, it most of the time is going to be closer to like minus 700, minus 1,000. And I do think with Kaboli's recent form, I think Kaboli's pretty live to actually make this match interesting. Now, Jari is a very good server. We know this. But the last couple of matches he's played, he's won a decent amount of them, but he's not exactly looked dominant. So to go through the last couple of matches, face off against Laheshka, lost in straight sets, beat Arnaldi in three. It was a miracle he beat Arnaldi because he was down... A break in that second set, he was down a couple match points in that tie break in the second set, and Arnaldi choked it before winning in three. But the point is, he ended up losing a set there, was in the United Cup, and faced off against a Sekelaridis, who I'm sure most people don't even know. That match ended up going three, and if you were curious, by the way, Sekelaridis is ranked 459th in the world. That ended up going to three sets. Beat Diaz, who is a really, I'd say, average at best challenger-level clay player, who's a uh, challenger-level uh, Canadian player, I mean, ranked in the 300s. Jari won then in straight sets, but it was 7-5-6-4. So the point is, I do think that Jari has been a bit uh, vulnerable against weaker competition, and Kaboli has been incredible in qualifying. To go through Kaboli's actual qualifying run, uh, he ended up winning in straight sets against Rodriguez, won in straight sets against Hassan, and won in straight sets against Jin. I know that all three of those guys are not well-known players or highly ranked players. But the point is Caboli has been rolling through qualifying, and I do think that he's a very talented young Italian player. I did watch a bit of his game in the clay season last year. Guy's very skilled, and you saw him in the next-gen final. Uh, he was able to beat Stricker in the group stage, did lose to Fees in straight sets, but did end up going to five sets against Nardi. The point is Jari, I do think, is a highly ranked player who's pretty volatile at times. And I wasn't overly impressed by how he looked in the last event that he was in and and in his match against the 400-plus ranked Greek player, which ended up going to three sets. I do think Capoli's good enough with his firepower to, I don't want to say match Jari, but to at least make the match very competitive. And I do think that Jari is, once again, a little bit too inconsistent to immediately dominate in straight sets against a guy ranked outside the top 100 with upside. Now, they faced off in 2022 on clay, and Jari did win that match, but it was very competitive and ended up going to a tiebreak and a 7-5. So Jari did win that one with a total of 25 games. But once again, that does tell me that Kaboli, at a very young age back then, was able to hang in there against Jari. And Jari's best surface, you can argue, is clay because he's won two titles, especially last year, on clay. So the point is, do you think that Kaboli has the game to meet, to uh, win a set off Jari? I don't think he's going to win in straight sets. So as a result, give me the over uh, three and a half sets there at minus 164. So once again, by locking all picks for the show, the lock is going to be on center uh, to win in straight sets, or in other words, the Zanschulp to not win a set 
at minus 144. And my dog will be a two-pick parlay. Give me Shang Moneyline fading the current form of McDonald. Parlayed with Kaboli and Jari over three and a half sets. And that two-pick pays out at plus 166. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. A reminder, we'll be back once again for the second round of the Australian Open for Masters 1000 events and for the Grand Slam events. We are going to cover every round of the event. So stay tuned for that. But until next time, find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. Find me on the NBA show, the NFL show, the WNBA show when the season resumes. You got the MLB show as well. But until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.